It's planting season, and it's not too late to make sure your crops grow up fed and happy. Regardless of your spring crop, Fed and Happy offers a variety of worm-casting solutions in liquid and solid form to supercharge your soil, your yields, and your profitability. For fast, vibrant germination and seedling growth, mix your seed with Fed and Happy's screened granular castings pre-drilling. The Fed and Happy liquid seed treat and extracts offer the ideal mix of soluble solids loaded with living beneficial biology, mycorrhizal fungi, humates, and more. The Fed and Happy small spreadable castings are ideal for fast, easy soil incorporation. The large offer long-term stability and soil growth. But you don't have to figure this out on your own. Just call 833-GO-WORMS to speak with our farm team experts for a fast turnaround on a custom solution for your needs. Fare better against pests, disease, drought, and other potential hazards this season with Fed and Happy Worm Castings. Visit FedandHappy.com for a healthy harvest and any lawn, garden, and tree care needs. Available for pickup and on-farm delivery. That's F-E-D-N-Happy.com. Or call 833-GO-WORMS. Happy planting. Welcome. You're listening to Casually Baked, the podcast. Home base for the can of curious. Thanks for tuning in. It's hot time. We had a hot time. Together. Together. Yes, it's hot time. We had a hot time. Hi, y'all. I'm Joe, your host and Cannabis Lifestyle Guide. I recently attended the fourth annual Cultivation Classic in Portland, Oregon. The event has become the state's and perhaps the nation's most data-centric contest for cannabis that's produced without any mineral salts or synthetics. The Cultivation Classic celebrates terpene-rich and terpene-diverse chemovars, and the innovators of Oregon's cannabis industry and sustainable agriculture. Cultivation Classic brings hundreds of opinion leaders and innovators under the same roof to celebrate and dig into the latest cannabis science. After four years, there's a growing movement of regenerative farmers and consumers in Oregon thinking about cannabis in the same way as their beloved craft beer, coffee, kombucha, wine, spirits, food, leather, and chocolate. I told you, Portland is progressive. And I'm excited to introduce you to two of the women on the front lines of this highly responsible cannabis movement. Kate Black and Katie Stem are partners in life and in business. They launched Peak Extracts in 2014, which has matured into one of Oregon's most respected cannabis brands. When Kate and Katie brought Peak to market under Oregon's medical marijuana program, Katie Sim had been a medical marijuana patient for nearly 10 years. She steadily crafted single-strain chocolates in her home kitchen to control symptoms of her Crohn's disease. Katie drew from her pre-med educational track and degree in Chinese medicine, herbalism, and acupuncture while perfecting these recipes. She discovered specific strains of cannabis were producing incredible benefits for the symptoms of her Crohn's disease, 
while other strains fell flat or created unwanted side effects. After years of hard work, combined with Kate Black's experience in design, chocolate making, and culinary management, Peak's line of vegan, gluten-free, single-strain, couverture chocolates was born. Kate and Katie transitioned Peak Extracts to the Oregon adult use market in 2016, receiving the first edibles processing license in the state. Today, Peak holds a position as the number two cannabis chocolate manufacturer in Oregon. They stand out for producing single-strain chocolates that offer versatile experiences. Kate and Katie also do their own extraction based on a process they've honed over many years. They personally choose the best cannabis and strive to retain as many terpenes, flavonoids, and nuances of the original flower as possible in all of the products they create. Enjoy this candid conversation about edibles, cannabis extraction, Crohn's disease, taking control of your health, Portland culture, and being women starting a business. There is so much to talk about, so settle in. It's time to get casually baked. I got the bottle of wine, the high dollar kind. I got the West Coast smoke, but I just... Kate, Katie, thank you so much for joining me today and for actually inspiring me to come to Cultivation Classic. Well, welcome. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Thanks for having us on your podcast. Oh my God, I love it. Portland's been great. It, the weather was supposed to be all rainy and we have gorgeous weather outside. So I'm inspired. And I originally had something very specific I wanted to talk to you all about being vaping and, and the testing and all of this sort of th thing. But I read your story and completely inspired by you ladies and how you got started and how you're doing this together. And so if you wouldn't mind <laughs> diving in and telling me a little bit about how this all began and how you became such a powerhouse in the cannabis space here in Oregon. Sure, so I got diagnosed, this is Katie. Um, <laughs> I got diagnosed in, in 2001 when I was 21 with Crohn's disease. And when I moved here in 2004, I'd had a lot of failures over the previous three years with Western meds and I wasn't making much progress. I was still really sick. And when I moved here, I saw a new gastroenterologist at OHSU, which was where I was working at the time. And he suggested that I try cannabis for my Crohn's. And he suggested that I get a card. And at the time, there weren't very many people who had cards here. And it was really difficult to get a card. You had to have a bunch of or a very small number of qualifying conditions like MS, AIDS, cancer, and Crohn's. And so I got my card. I started growing. My landlord was super cooperative and sweet about it. Awesome. And I started growing two strains. I started growing Blue Magoo and Trainwreck. And Blue Magoo was wonderful. It allowed me to function. It really helped with my nausea and my pain. Mm -hmm. And Trainwreck gave me panic attacks and made my symptoms worse and actually made me nauseated. And so I knew right away that that was kind of the magic thing for me is that I wanted to experiment with the strain specific stuff. Mm -hmm. And let me interrupt real quick because the fact that you immediately grew your own cannabis is fascinating to me. So do you have any sort of a background where you already kind of a farmer, like horticulturist type person where you just like, this is a big experiment. Let's see what happens. I, I did a little bit of gardening as a kid and I did some gardening in Minnesota where I was, went to school and then did AmeriCorps. Um, but no, it was a lot of just reading books and learning as I went. I got this used copy of Ed Rosenthal's book mm -hmm. that was like 
printed in 1975 and yeah. I read it cover to cover and that's where I knew most of my things and then I, I just got into the community and they taught mm -hmm. me a lot. Well, I think that's inspiring because I feel like so many people are like, I don't know anything about this. I can't do that. So that's, I know that was a little tangent of mine, but I'm like, okay, I dig that. Somebody can just, hey, I want to grow cannabis. And your very first plants, you were successful, huh? Well, I wouldn't say successful. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that, I mean, the access was pretty poor then. So it was a bit more out of desperation. I mean, now it's almost comical to think that it was hard to get cannabis right right but it was mm -hmm. especially something that i knew what it was mm -hmm. like with the strain specific thing exactly and so then i sort of became a control freak and that has persisted to this day hugely yeah. <laughs> um and so i started making my own strain specific chocolates mm -hmm. and that was a huge huge leap forward for me because it allowed me to to eat it and be subtle about it i mm -hmm. didn't have to smoke during the day and it allowed me to have four to six hours of relief and really titrate the dose really nicely. And I didn't have to digest it because with Crohn's, you know, eating things like a cookie or something would be harder on my system than chocolate, which just melts in your mouth and kind of just drifts on through. And so I started making strain specific chocolates and sharing them and getting feedback from other people in the medical community. And in, what was it? When did we go legal here in Oregon? 20... For medical or it for was the recreation? 2016, 2016, right? 2016, yeah. We knew it was going to happen in 2014. We kind of, it, it just seemed like it was going to. So we moved into the medical market. Okay. And we invested in our first extractor, a CO2 extractor. Okay. A little baby one. We called her Joan. Oh. Well, and that allowed us to, I mean, the medical market allowed us to be kind of DIY and learn and like build our wings on the way down, you know? Mm -hmm. Because. When you go to the recreational market, you have to have your shit together, you know, like you really do. Yeah. And, and so we were able to experiment at home and to teach ourselves all about that extraction equipment. It's a lot like working on a car, like a yeah. lot of busted knuckles and changing <laughs> seals and loud noises. It was kind of scary at first. So anyway. And, and so your background is in culinary, right? Yeah. Okay. I have more of a food and arts background. So nice. um, yeah, design. I went to to school for fine arts back in the day, but I grew up cooking with my dad and I've just always, I love making food and, and, and making things delicious. And mm -hmm. I'm a big fan of dark chocolate. So that was a really fun journey nice. to, to learn how to be <laughs> a chocolatier. Yeah. It was awesome. Nice. So y'all started making chocolates and you, you turned it into a business pretty quickly. Well, we started, I started making chocolates in 2006 and then she and I got together in 2011. And so we were sharing our chocolates around, and then we sold our first chocolate bar on January 1st, 2015. Okay. And then we moved into 50 or so dispensaries within that first six months. Wow. And we were making really tiny batches at the time. We were making 250 chocolate bars at a time. And I remember we went down to Eugene, which is two, two hours away, and we had 100 chocolate bars in the back. In a cooler. In a cooler, of course. <laughs> yeah. And we went, and we went into this dispensary, and we... You know, they, were, they bought five, and we were like, oh, this isn't worth the trip. And then we went to the second one, and they were like, we'll buy everything you have. And nice. we just felt so amazing. And we talk about that sometimes because we, you know, we sold $500 for the chocolate bars. And we were like, this is the best thing that's ever happened. Yeah. That's yeah. so fun. You know, the beginning stages, I think we rush through entrepreneurship because we're constantly tired. And we're wearing all of the hats. And, you know, my team, they say I'm like an octopus. I've got a thousand things going on. And, you know, my hands are in everything. But it's all about really savoring those beginning things, those 
big wins. It's like, you know, a child, like, you know, first words, we're crawling, we're walking, you know, and you have to celebrate all of those things as entrepreneurs to really stay motivated and passionate about it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So y'all were selling the chocolate for how long until you started branching out into other things? Well, we we did the topical initially, too, because I'm a Chinese herbalist and I developed the topical in my practice starting in 2010. And the the formula is based on this 2000 year old herbal formula for blunt force trauma. It's kind of funny. They they have a lot of really specific, hyper specific herbal formulas for topical application in Chinese Mm -hmm. medicine. And this one is for being beaten with wooden sticks. And wow. so I'm assuming this was some sort of like Tai Chi. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. Bat okay. Play yeah. it. But, um, and so <laughs> we hope. <laughs> right. And so yeah, who knows? <laughs> I, I, I just looked at the herbs and I was like, oh, I think this is going to be really good for pain and for trauma and for arthritis just based on the, the chemical qualities of the herbs. And also it would smell really good. Mm-hmm. And so I started toying with that in an oil base at, at work doing massage with it. And then. We'd been selling chocolate for maybe six months or so. And one of my friends said, well, why don't you add cannabis to your, your balm that you use at your practice? And I was like, well, I'm stupid for not thinking of that. Duh.com. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And so we, we started selling the rescue rub, which is what what it is with cannabis in it. Nice. And so that, that was our second product and that did really well. It took off pretty quickly. And then we went wreck in 2016 in June of 2016. Okay. That was a big leap. Yeah. yeah. We had to get a facility and get all the licensing and uh, on another business partner of ours who's an attorney really helped us with all the regulatory stuff. So mm-hmm. that was that was big. So what was the hardest part of moving from that medical to recreational? Oh, I don't know. Um, City of Portland. City of Portland, <laughs> I would say. Yeah. The, yeah. The, the, the inspectors and, you know, there was some pushback. I mean, even though it's it's a friendly city for cannabis, some of the inspectors had very strong beliefs against it and they really didn't want to push things through. And so they made it extremely difficult for us. Yeah. And um, being female, too, they, yeah. they really didn't think that we could operate such a large and loud machine. Mm-hmm. And we ended up having to bring a couple men in to pretend to work for us to get past inspection. Oh my God. So I was at the circular summit last week and it is a bunch of female entrepreneurs and we are learning from one another, collaborating all of the things. And there were so many stories of women sitting in a room with VCs trying to get money from people and the questions that they're getting versus the questions they just heard men getting Mm -hmm. or instead of you know where do you think you're going to be in five years what's your you know what do you think this growth rate's going to be to them asking the women do you think you can handle all of this do you think you can manage this size of an operation it's, it's unreal. Like, fuck off. It's so Seriously. insulting. And yeah, we, we've had to put up with so much of that. I mean, and then just even like the, uh, the, um, the equipment, purchasing the extraction equipment, you know, it was from a company in the Midwest and all run by like military men. And they, they just couldn't believe that us girls would buy this machine and how were we going to handle it and run it. And just it was intense you know it's just yeah you, you don't even realize how thick the sexism is until you actually try to do something in such a male-dominated sphere yeah so yeah that and was then, another challenge and then I think the dynamic too if you know if mm-hmm. they 
know that you are romantic partners instead of just business partners. Has that been a, has that played a factor in your business as well? Well, they thought yeah. it was hot. Yeah, they thought it was super hot. <laughs> oh my god, this stuff pisses me off. Oh, yeah. I just thought it, I thought it was kind of funny. <laughs> like, okay, you're we, not getting in on this action, but sweet. Yeah, <laughs> because we did have a moment where we because the the guy who showed up to help us with our machine, we ended up inviting him back to our house and feeding him dinner because the setup took longer than we thought, and we were like, oh, he's gonna figure out that we're gay. Yeah, and then we were like, is this gonna go south? And he was like. Yeah, it's hot. I'm like, oh, man. I know. And then you're like, ew. Can you go home now? Yeah. He's actually a great guy, and we're friends with him now. But it was was just kind of the stereotypical funny moment. I was just like, oh, geez. I guess we have to talk about this now. Like, I thought we were trying to get this machine up and running, but cool. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Tangent. Yeah. Well, okay. So now you've got the chocolate, you've got the muscle rub happening. And so then when did you start adding on other products? Well, we did oils the whole time. Okay. Because we did our own extraction. And so Mm -hmm. our focus was making oils to go into the chocolate and into the rescue rub. But we always had the intention to do vape pens. But it took us a while to meet the demand for chocolate and rub and have extra and also to come up with a satisfactory process. Right. Because what I wanted to do is make sure that we left all the terpenes in because the the, uh, listeners probably won't know the whole science behind it, but a lot of companies will pull the terpenes out and then reintroduce them later. And I think that that doesn't work as well from a chemistry perspective because I'd rather just keep them in like a cold brew. You know, you want to just keep the molecules intact and move them to where you want them to go rather than rip them out separately and smush them back together. Right. And I would love that if you can kind of talk through that process, like you're telling, you know, someone who doesn't really understand that much about it, that would be super helpful. Sure. So we, we take our material and we do some, we do some things before we extract it in the machine, mm-hmm. but and by material we're talking cannabis flower only or do we, you do the, the leaves and stuff too? We don't use leaves anymore. Okay. We, you know, at the beginning we took what we could get, it was trim mostly. And now there's such a glut on the market that we can get beautiful flour for between a hundred and $200 a pound. See, that's insane. I was talking to my friend, um, Luke Zimmerman, he's an attorney in California, but he lives here currently and just talking about how there's such a surplus of cannabis here that it is just so cheap and yeah. I'm like those poor cultivators. But I guess when you're, you know, pr- manufacturing a product, it's great. Yeah, I mean, it's been kind of a boon for us and it's allowed us to work with better material and have a more diverse product offering and, Mm -hmm. you know, the the profit margin's better too. I mean, what we do is really labor intensive because we spend so much time with all the material and because we do it so slowly. Mm -hmm. You know, we spend more than double the time extracting than most people do. And so that, you know, that eats at your bottom line. Right. So how, so how does that work? Do you, you have the flour and then do you have a press and you press out the... No, we use a, a, a carbon dioxide extraction okay. system. And so there's a chamber that is jacketed and is ultra high pressure. Okay. And so we put in liquid CO2 and then it's allowed to leave and then it decompresses into gaseous CO2 and the oil is left on the sides of the second chamber. And then it goes to a third chamber and it's cleaned up even further. And so at the end of the run, there's a chamber that has the oil and then there's a chamber that has the plant material that has been stripped of all of the oils, the terpenes, the flavonoids, that kind of thing. Got it. And so then we take the oil and we don't use any heat. We just 
introduce it into our products or we refine it for our vape pens. And then what do you do with all that excess plant material? Does it go to compost yeah, or compost. use it? Back to the farms. Awesome. So. Yeah, that was our main main reasoning for choosing CO2 is that it's just zero environmental impact. Mm-hmm. You know, BHO is explosive. It's bad for the environment because you're using petrochemicals. And also when you are done extracting the material, you have to incinerate it. And mm. that's pretty gross. Mm-hmm. It's contaminated. It's yeah. considered biohazardous. And so we, we just take our material back to the, the farm and they're stoked because all of the f- fertilizers and stuff are still there. Yeah. We didn't extract them. And so they just top dress their stuff with it or use it in a compost pile. And do you give that back to the farmers that you use to get the flour from? So it's just like kind of a full circle kind of a deal? Sometimes. Um, and then some are just closer by and have a greater demand for it. So okay. they're, they're nice. fine just taking whatever material we have that's spent. Yeah. Yeah. But that was a big thing for us that was important was the environmental impact on the earth and just, you know, just in this butane and, uh, and all that, all those hydrocarbons and byproducts. And like she said, in having to incinerate the waste mm-hmm. and there's really, there really isn't a very proper way to do that in Oregon, is there? No. And so we really cared about keeping the process as clean as possible. And CO2 is the obvious choice for us. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So tell me when you get the oil, are y'all now doing, you're, you do the vape pens, but do you do also do any sort of um, tinctures? Okay. Yeah. So we do, we, we brought the tincture line on about a month and a half ago. And that it's basically the same idea as our chocolate. So it's strain specific, it's high terpene. And we're also going to be doing a THCA tincture, which I'm really excited about. Oh, nice. Because THCA is the the chemical that's in the raw plant Mm -hmm. material. And it doesn't get you high. And it doesn't interact with the CB receptors. It's an anti-inflammatory. And so it has all these wonderful health benefits without the impediment of getting you high. I didn't know that it didn't um, interact with the CB receptors. Mm Mm-mm. Yeah. Wow, I love learning new shit. <laughs> well, she's a great person to talk to about this. She's very science geeky, so yeah, ask away. <laughs> so, and, you know, when it comes to the vape pens and someone choosing the right one for them, you've talked about the butane extraction and how that leaves kind of a mess and it's hard to, you know, what do we do with the other stuff? Well, what does that do when I'm inhaling it? What does that do to my body versus CO2 extracted oil probably not very much okay because butane is so volatile that's what makes it such a great solvent that if it's purged properly there's nothing left and so in terms of consumption it's not that hazardous it's more about the process got it okay unless somebody doesn't know what they're doing and then it could be potentially harmful correct yeah i mean if you don't purge it correctly there'll be residual butane but Mm -hmm. i mean people smoke with a butane lighter all the time and they're getting butane there i know i try to turn people on to hemp wick i'm like let's not do this (laughs) and once you've used hemp wick you can taste the lighter once you once you use that the other issue is if you're not getting really good butane or propane or any of the the hydrocarbons there can be heavy metals there and so you could get a heavy metal exposure and which is something that's not even tested for here. No. But no. Do, do y'all go ahead and, because you are super sciencey, do you just go ahead and test for everything or do you just test for what the or state of Oregon requires? We used to test for everything. And once we established that the farms that we work with weren't putting any of that in, we, we only test for what's required, which honestly in Oregon is exhausted. It's pretty stringent. Yeah. Yeah. I, I did um, with one of the ladies running a booth yesterday. I had her 
talk me through one of the COAs Mm -hmm. because I'm like, okay, we tell people to make sure they know what they're taking, but then, you know, you click on that certificate of analysis and you're looking at all this stuff and I'm like, okay, how do I read this? Like, what am I seeing? Where, where's the stuff that I really want to notice? And yeah, it's, it's kind of overwhelming. So as a consumer, you know, you want to be educated, but sometimes it's like looking at a foreign language. Like, totally. I don't know what this is. Right. Well, and our, our oil tests are 28 pages long. And people ask for them, and I'm like, do you really, really, really want them? Because, yeah. And a lot of it's just the blanks and not, it's not relevant information, but it's still important. I'm really glad that they test for all of the pesticides that they do, even though mm-hmm. it, it was stressful for the growers. We went through a period where everyone said that everything was pesticide free and then it would come back in the oil. And we were like, no, it failed. And. Mm-hmm. So, no. Yeah. And then a lot of times it's like, oh, we got a clone. And so, or we're next to a farm where maybe the wind blew. And well, in hell, in California, know. with all of the wildfires and everything that was burned and just kind of falling everywhere, I was like, I bet these farmers, most of them won't pass the test. You know, no. there'll be all kinds of residual things in their canvas. Yeah. It's tough. It's really tough for the growers, too. It's tough on all of us sometimes, but, yeah. but you it's know what? It makes it. a superior product and I'm really proud that it is so stringent because who wants to be inhaling things that are, I mean, the cannabis part's great, but what if you have residual toxins? I mean, you don't want that yeah. in your body. So yeah. exactly. So, you know, the, the vape cartridges, mm-hmm. what, what style do y'all use? And, you know, there was some news in California um, a few months back that I'd read about them finding the heavy metals in these cartridges because most of this shit comes from China and yep. they don't have the regulations that we do. So, and is that why a lot of these other pods are starting to come out on the market? Well, I think there's just a demand to have more diversity in the market. We use the C-cell, which is stainless steel, ceramic, and glass only. Mm-hmm. You know, they are tested for lead and they test below the threshold and everyone is putting more pressure on the manufacturer there to make sure that everything stays below. And I've seen some pretty alarming heavy metal tests for cartridges. And so it's been important to us to stay with the name brand and to stay with the ones that do rigorous heavy metal testing. Mm -hmm. But I think that it's going to get better as the Chinese market becomes aware of how intense it's going to be regulated here because they won't be able to sell them. Well, and with these tariff wars happening, like... (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we're we're having a dilemma right now because our cartridges themselves are already almost $3, and then they're going to add the 25% tariff. And so our profit margin is just gone with them. Right. So it's a little bit of a dilemma on what we're going to do there. How long have you been producing the cartridges? It's about a year now? A year and a half. We started half? Well, we were developing them before we released them. Yeah. And then the design process was pretty intense, too. Mm-hmm. All that takes time. But yeah. Yeah. It was an exciting release for us. But yeah, I've, they've been on the market for a little over a year, I think. Yep. Yeah. Right on. So in this market, like which of your products are you most known for? What's kind of your biggest seller? I don't know. It tough depends on the demographic, say. I think. The Chocolate? Chocolate and I mean the the mm-hmm. older set is really into the rescue rub. Mm-hmm. Um, that seems to be the gateway for people over fifty five or sixty mm-hmm. into our products. Even yeah. for my parents, for instance, they started out with the topical, and then they're like, maybe I should try some chocolate at night, and yeah. then they did. Oh my gosh! So today I was at the Adidas store. One of my good friends that I used to work with in media in San Francisco. He now does the social for Adidas. 
He's the director there. And so had dinner with him last night and he gave us one of his 50% off employee cards. And so got up this morning, went and got in line at the Adidas store. And so we're checking out and this kid is standing there and he's like, oh, you know, where are you from? And I told him I was here for Cultivation Classic, did a podcast. And he's like, I just started using cannabis about a year ago. And he said that him and his brother and his parents were going somewhere. And so him and his brother just went in and got a couple of pre-rolls and took them. And as a family, we're like, hey, mom, dad, let's try this. That's and Because awesome. <laughs> none of them had done it before. And they were just like, no, I don't think so. And 30, 45 minutes later of discussion, they were like, okay. And so as a family, they all smoked a joint together. Oh, my gosh. I've never heard that before in my life. That's amazing. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> I thought it was so cool. And so the boys thought, okay, this is one and done. It, we did it. This is cool. But then the next night, they were like, hey, do y'all want to smoke that other joint? The parents started using. And so then the guys were like, okay, well, if, if it's cool for mom and dad, then I guess it's cool for us too. That's fantastic. I know. I thought it That's was such awesome. a good story. Yeah, we do have a lot of older clients that really like the topical because they've never even tried cannabis before, so they're not really afraid of it. Yeah, that's like she said, it's kind of a nice gateway to have an introduction to it. Well, and two, you know, when you know, okay, you can put this on, it's localized relief, you aren't going to feel any psychoactive effects, and they do feel that relief, mm-hmm. it's like their curiosity is just peaked, and they're like, okay, let's check this out. So do y'all have a, a high CBD pen yeah. that you sell? And We have a huge emphasis on CBD. It's super useful for me and Crohn's. And so we have all of our strain-specific stuff. We, we have a rainbow. And so our THC dominant, they're all colors, and the CBD is white. And so with our vape pens, we try to have at least three or four CBD strains at a time. Mm-hmm. And we try to do an up and a down low THC and an up and a down ratio. So we'll have a two to one that's sleepy and a two to one that's kind of up and then same Mm -hmm. for like the 20 to one. Okay. Yeah. I need to go check out some of your stuff. I'm going to listen to your talk after this, but tomorrow is um, my exploration of the dispensaries. Fantastic. So can't go in one and then not buy anything. So I have a friend who is not sleeping at all. And so I'm like, okay, I'll get some of those high CBD, low THC sleep ones. He has a very sensitive reaction to THC. And to me, I'm like, I need the THC to sleep. Mm -hmm. How do you balance that without, you know, somebody waking up freaked out or something? Yeah, I would say try at least a two to one um, CBD and the indica dominant. Mm -hmm. The lowest THC one we have right now that's indica dominant is the blue dragon desert frost. And that one, I love the name. (laughs) It's adorable. Yeah. (laughs) And it's, it's delicious. It's a really blueberry heavy mercine. Okay. Dominant strain. And it's super sedating. And it was fascinating to me to really feel firsthand the, the terpene effects because Mm -hmm. there's almost no THC in it. And that one, uh, juxtaposed with the Corazon, which is the sativa dominant one. Mm-hmm. The Corazon is alert and happy and there's almost no THC in it. So you're not getting high, but it has effects that mm-hmm. you can discern. And then the blue dragon is the opposite. You're just kind of like, Hey, yeah, I, I want to be a blue dragon. It's super <laughs> mellow. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good recommendation. We found too, that in this market that there really wasn't a niche for CBD dominant cartridges. And so that's been our biggest hit. Like we do the strain specific and have like four varieties out at a time with different ratios. And Mm -hmm. they're definitely going really well. 
or THC cartridges don't sell particularly well because they're more expensive and we just can't compete with the people who are getting like $50 pounds of stuff and just blasting through it and selling yeah. distillate cartridges for the same price that we're selling our half grams. Yeah. And so, I mean, we definitely have the connoisseurs market mm-hmm. for the THC, but most people buy our CBD cartridges. So let's dive in a little bit and talk about Crohn's and how you use cannabis because I, I have a couple of friends that have Crohn's now they live in Texas and they don't have this kind of access. I know that there's people that don't even realize that they can use cannabis to help with that. So kind of if you could talk through that journey, that would be great. Sure. I mean, there's a ton of studies about Crohn's and cannabis and almost all of them are overwhelmingly positive. You know, 91% of people say that it helps their symptoms. Um, it's been shown to induce a remission in a vast majority of people when they try it and a lot of people use it for maintenance and it tends to prevent relapse too and use prophylactically and so i i use it prophylactically when i'm not in a relapse Mm -hmm. and i also use it pretty heavily when i'm in a flare and so i i have most of my pain and problems first thing in the morning and so i'll usually like take the tincture the cbd tincture and then a small amount of THC. I, f- I find that I need a small amount of THC. Mm-hmm. And it kind of lines up with the way that the endocannabinoid system works because CBD is really good at potentiating your already existing cannabinoids, like anandamide and 2-AG. Mm-hmm. But if you have a deficit, which a lot of people with autoimmune diseases have, then it's not really going to fix you because you don't have the stuff that it needs to potentiate. And so you need the THC to be there to right. potentiate those receptors first. Um, and so, yeah, I, I need a combination of both. And I, I really gravitate towards the sativas during the day and then nighttime, the, the indicas. Although, honestly, the indicas work better for abdominal pain for me. The, the blueberry type is, is mm-hmm. the one that I like the best. And that one doesn't cause me to have a lot of fog. It's okay. pretty lucid for me still. Yeah. Okay. Um, what's your favorite way to use cannabis? You know, I really like it for anxiety. And when I'm super stressed out after a long day of work or I've been on my feet, you know, making chocolate all day and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a spring chicken anymore. So it's, it helps with that. So I definitely like to vape a little bit. I'm a huge fan of CBD as well. And mm-hmm. I am one of those people that I'm pretty high strung and kind of neurotic in my brain. So like, I don't need a ton of like things to make my brain go more and more in that direction. So I just feel like the CBD just takes the edge off for me yeah. and I'm just so inspired. I mean, the reason why I wanted to pursue this was just watching how it helped Katie. Like I can't even speaking of Crohn's and your friends in Texas, like Mm -hmm. I wish they had access because it is, it's a fantastic alternative to things like Western medicine, biologics, et cetera. I'm sure Mm -hmm. that those words would mean something to them. It's just really inspiring. So, I mean, whether I'm using it myself or watching someone like her really benefit from it, that's what inspired us to start this business and share it as a medicine in the first place. And that's what I care about most, you know? Yeah, so absolutely. And the delicious chocolate. Yes, of course. <laughs> so for someone visiting this cannabis culture here in Portland, what are some of the highlights um, as far as you're, you're concerned? The variety, I think. Yeah. I mean, we, we just have... So much quality and so much variety. People care so much in Oregon about everything. I mean, anyone who's seen Portlandia knows that, you know, call in the chicken. Like, we just care about sourcing. We care about the process. We care about packaging. We care about environmental impact. 
And so it's just this cornucopia of variety and quality here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, quality is, is paramount. I mean, people are snobs here and they really care. And it's just, it's evident in everything. It's uh, if, you know, craft, artisanal, any of those words come to mind, it, Oregon is really the top of that. I think we have the best weed in the country. Mm-hmm. Don't you? I agree. Yeah. Nice. Now, my friends in Humboldt would be like, yeah, yeah like, right. whatever. But, <laughs> but that's what makes this fun is when you do have these cultivators who are so passionate about it. They're like, um, yeah, no, challenge accepted. Mm-hmm. I, and I love it. And I think that there is something really special about Northern California through Oregon in terms of the terroir. Yes. yes. And I think that we could really position ourselves to be like the Bordeaux of cannabis. And that's what I'm hoping will happen when we get legalization through the u.s and then hopefully across country lines yes absolutely that would be so fun to be the epicenter of some sort of new cultural movement and a craft yeah and the when we were all getting registered yesterday on the other side of this room they had postcards out for everyone to you know write their congresswomen or congressmen and send a message i immediately wrote one to Maxine Waters, where I live, like my representatives, they're on board, but I'm like, I want to send something to someone who doesn't necessarily have a stance. Maxine Waters doesn't tell people what her stance is on cannabis, at least what I looked up. And so, yeah, just sending these messages. Mine yesterday was, we need to put Big Pharma back in the ranks of where they belong. They should be healers and not dealers. That's, that is absolutely correct. I'm so excited. This movement of cannabis, it's just, it's, it is the green rush and it's not just about money. It's about helping people and making medicine affordable. Well, shit, these prices around here, flour seems like a way more affordable option than pharmaceutical drugs. Absolutely. And they keep jacking up those prices. And I was just visiting with my mother who's like 85 and we were talking about that and she's just like, it is just a crime what they charge for Mm-hmm. Drugs that are life-saving for people. It just shouldn't mm-hmm. be that way. So yeah. so with the pricing here in Oregon being as it is, being so low, are the cultivators struggling? Are people starting to create co-ops? Like, how are people making it? There's a lot of cultivators that are going to go out of business. And the same is true with processors, too. There were a lot of us that came in self-funded or borrowed from family or borrowed against their house. And there's going to be a lot of loss because there's new capital coming in and there's a lot of consolidation. A lot of the cultivators are not operating under a sustainable model. And that's, that's part of what we're seeing. And we pay more for flour than we could because we want to pay the people that are doing it sustainably. And we want to keep those relationships going. Like the blue dragon desert frost and the chorus owner are grown by Yerba Buena and that's a sustainable price for them. Mm -hmm. And we don't want to move to someone who will charge us $50 a pound because they're doing that so they don't go out of business, but they'll probably go out of business anyway. Right. And so we want someone who's going to be there next year. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that's our values as a company. We just want to make sure that people stay and it's the people that care for the right reasons. But yeah, it's yeah. sad. There's well, going to be a lot of people that go out of business. That said, too, I mean, when the gateway is opened nationally, I think that Oregon growers will be at the forefront of being able to make a lot of money if they yeah. survive, you know, because Perfect. there is in, in Northern California, just any wonderful region for growing. Mm-hmm. But as it stands right now, the competition is just way too stiff. And so she's right. I mean, I think that co-ops are forming. I think that big money is coming in and they're swooping up these great growers in Oregon 
because they realize that they have something special that mm-hmm. will be able to be, you know, sustained in the future. But it's 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 rough out there. Well, and two, when that happens, when all these cultivators do start going out of business, then there won't be the surplus of flour anymore. Right. So that will change the pricing model, too, it seems. And I think there's going to be a huge spike when we can actually do interstate commerce because we can just take it to Kentucky or Mm -hmm. take it to Oklahoma where people are still paying a ludicrous amount of money for flour. Mm -hmm. And so, I I mean, we are prepared for it to go back up to $250 a pound for trim or Mm -hmm. $1,000 for flour. That's... We're hoping it won't do it without some notice. But right. So is there a gray market here because of the pricing being so low? What happens? I mean, are there a lot of people that are just trying to move things to another state? I'm sure it I'm happens. I'm sure. We, we don't associate with those people, but I'm sure there's always going to be a gray to black market anywhere yeah. you go. In Canada right now, I was just in Alberta, and because there isn't an opportunity for branding and, th- you know, the laws are so strict the gray market is thriving there yeah. because there's so many people that are just, it's just easier to make money that way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that, that happened initially because there wasn't enough in the regulated market. And so it was cheaper to go on the Mac black market to buy cannabis. And now that's completely switched. And so it's cheaper to go to a dispensary than it is to go to your old dealer. Yeah. Um, and you have a COA, you know exactly, exactly what yeah. you're getting. That quality exactly. is there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And so I think it's going to even out. I really do, especially if we have interstate commerce. I think it's just going to, the yeah. market's going to right itself. Right on. Well, is there something special that you want to talk about or something that I didn't ask that we should let the listeners know? I don't know. I can't Nothing think of anything think off the top of my head. I feel like we covered a lot. Well, are you nervous about your speaking gig right after this? I don't think so. I studied really hard. Okay, good. Good. And, you know, maybe we got you all warmed up here. Yeah. yeah. Now you'll go on stage and I'm not it. nervous because I just have to watch. So that's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> well, I think this is great. So you're doing the nurturing with endocannabinoid system. This Empower Body Care and Smart Cannabis. Do you know these ladies or are you just... Trista is a really good friend of mine. Okay. We're, we're part of the lesbian mafia. Woohoo. There, I mean, there's got to be a giant one in Portland. I mean, this not is really. like lesbian central. It's is not. It? I don't know. We don't have a lot of gay friends. It's oh my weird. Gosh. I well, have more gay friends in San Francisco. but <laughs> I think my sister and her wife loved Portland. And of course, my social media team, my gay duo over here. Yeah, I think I think this is lesbian central. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that it, it's... <laughs> we just don't get out <laughs> enough. Well, that and it's it's really welcoming here. And so there's no need to cluster you know when i lived in minneapolis you kind of had to band together whereas here we can just do whatever they assigned you three city square blocks or whatever it's like this is where we meet each other and here it's like well there's lesbians everywhere so it's not that big a deal but trista is an owner of another cannabis company and so as far as i know they're they're the only other gay run (laughs) company that's two ladies that Mm -hmm. are together yeah, it's kind of exceptional, huh? I didn't yeah. really think about that. Interesting. We'll make this our lesbian empowering episode. Right on. Awesome. Yeah. The lesbian mafia. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> they, they call us that, although technically both of us are bisexual. Well, I mean, technically, I guess I would be called that too. I dated men and women in my 20s and then was just like, I think us ladies are a little high maintenance for me. I need to... <laughs> you, were, you were a lug, a lesbian until graduation, and then... Well, I gradu- <laughs> until I graduated into my 30s. How about that? Oh, okay. That? Oh, yeah, yeah, there, there you go. go. <laughs> you, gave it the, you gave it a good shot. I was yeah. the opposite. I was with men mostly, and then I switched over in my 20s, mid-20s. 
I was all over the place, whatever. <laughs> and then I found her, and she's great. So, <laughs> well, that's why I'm like, it, it, it's about the human, it's mm-hmm. about the person, it's totally. not about the gender. So everybody put that in your pipe and smoke it. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you all so much for a fun chat today. I really appreciate having you guys on. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having us again. This is awesome. All right. Whether you're a cannabis consumer or entrepreneur, I hope you learned something useful to help you perform at your peak. And if you're a baller on a budget like me, Looking for a casually baked getaway? Definitely check out Portland while there's a cannabis surplus. I mean, seriously, think about it. It is a great opportunity to get a real taste of the Oregon cannabis culture. You can afford to try a lot of products. I'll share more about Peak Extracts, my exploration of Portland, and the things Kate, Katie, and I chatted about in the Podcast 90 show notes at casuallybaked.com. If you know someone suffering from a chronic illness like Crohn's, I hope you'll share this episode with them. You know, they don't know what they don't know. So you be the one to puff, puff, pass it on. And be sure to meet me back here next week. I'll save you a seat for my road trip to Humboldt. We're getting a life lesson in sustainable agriculture and the power of community. In the meantime, connect with me on social. I'm at Casually Baked. And if it feels good, please rate and review Casually Baked, the podcast on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. And be sure to connect with our new friends, Kate and Katie, on social and on the web. You can find them at Peak Extracts. That's P-E-A-K Extracts. Dot com. Casually Baked the Podcast was created, recorded, and produced by yours truly. Editing and sound design are in the capable hands of Arnav Gupta. La Osa is in the house capturing and editing the video version of the podcast available on YouTube and channel 203 on Cannabis Club TV. The podcast theme music is by my highly talented friend, Seth Walker. If you aren't familiar with Seth's music, you can find High Time on his album, Gotta Get Back, wherever you're finding your music these days. I know he didn't create High Time for me, but it sure as shit sounds like he did, right? I hope you'll tune in next time. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, it's Justin Benton, host of the Miracle Plant Podcast, where we discuss this miracle plant that goes by so many names and how it's helping people in so many extraordinary ways. So if you love this plant and you want to hear a story that tugs on those heartstrings and learn more about this plant, then head on over to the Miracle Plant Podcast. You'll be glad you did.